Everyone has a relationship with gender. What's your story? Hello and welcome to Gender Stories with your host, Dr. Alex Yantafi. Hello and welcome to a very special episode. It's the... Meg John. And Justin. And, and Gender Stories. <laughs> Podcast, yay! Yeah, we did it. So welcome. <laughs> it's a joint episode if you hadn't worked it out yet. So if you <laughs> love both Gender Stories and Meg John and Justin, that I know many of you do, uh, you get both of us in one today, right? You do. No Justin, sadly. But, no Justin. Um, I'm yeah. sure he he will enjoy listening to this. And, yes. Um, yeah, it's so exciting to mash up with you, the two podcasts. It's like podcast slash, but but not like like shipping, like shipping podcast. I like that. I like the shipping <laughs> yeah. podcast. We need to get <laughs> yeah. Justin up in here, though. I will, I'm pretty sure we can make it happen with the technology. We should definitely make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's a plan. So, oh, so what are we going to talk about? Well, for, funnily enough, we're going to talk <laughs> about this COVID-19, a.k.a. coronavirus pandemic. Because What's that? I, you know, the kind of thing that's keeping us inside our houses, not oh, being outside, that. not being okay, around yeah. other people because that thing. it yeah, can let's talk about like, that. kill people like me who are immunocompromised and asthmatic. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that <sighs> thing, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's impacting everybody. Um, and so I think we've both been talking about this on our respective podcasts, haven't we? We you, have. You, you, you did a gender episode, right? I did a gender episode because I realized there wasn't much that I could think about apart from coronavirus for lots of different reasons. And mm-hmm. so I did an episode on gender. And then you and I were talking about how so much of our explorations around non-binary thinking and non-binary feeling and even around relationship really does apply to this time. So we thought we might as well have a conversation recorded for you all on this. And honestly, we haven't pre-prepared. We just said we should have a conversation on this. And here we are. And I guess we'll probably reflect on a lot of what's going on for us as well. But yeah, I feel like it's those chapters. So in our book, Life Isn't Binary, um, we have chapters on relationships, emotions and thinking. And I think we're sort of thinking like to apply where we got to to this particular situation and look uh, at some of look at some of the binaries in play here and how we might uh, how the binaries might un- be unhelpful right now in terms of how we're thinking and feeling and relating and how we might move beyond those and embrace paradox and complexity and both and thinking, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And as I was thinking about this, actually, even even the non-binary bodies ideas, you know, from the yeah. bodies chapter really apply here. So, yeah, we're just going to have a conversation. We haven't pre-prepared mm-hmm. the conversation, so it's going to unfold as we go. And we hope that this is um, helpful for you as well, for you listeners. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And feel free to put Life Isn't Binary on your pandemic reading list. If That's that, right. If you I mean, enjoy if, reading. I don't know about you. I'm a therapist, so I'm really busy through teletherapy. But if you have time to read, I highly <laughs> recommend our books. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's such a well, there's an interesting kind of binary right there is that some people are almost like having to work a lot more and a lot harder, often mm -hmm. adapting their work to this situation. And then others of us are having a lot less work because a lot of my work predominantly with training and that's all been cancelled. So, you know, even you and I find ourselves at opposite ends of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on social media, we've seen a lot of that, right? A lot of people mm -hmm. saying, you know, uh, oh, I'm going to use this pandemic as a writing retreat and other people saying I can't yeah. even think about writing because I'm so overwhelmed and I'm so worried about my well-being or my yeah. beloved's well-being, you know, and people who are uh, who have lost their work and people are working more than ever. And also mm -hmm. people like essential workers, you know, grocery workers um, did not sign up to kind of put their lives at risk in the middle of a pandemic yeah. and be essential workers. But all of a sudden they are essential workers and, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. childcare, grocery workers, folks who uh, clean our streets who did not sign up to be at risk of being exposed to a biohazard, basically. Mm -hmm. That's that's quite yeah. intense for a lot of people. Really intense. I think it's throwing a lot of, perhaps throwing everybody into unprecedented like situations, um, wh whatever the situation is for people and I think it's so much about having to, you know people needing the time to adjust to that right mm -hmm. and needing to you know needing to be okay with whatever the reactions are in them I think the in a way the big problem is isn't necessarily the the responses it's the responses to the responses right it's like not rec not realizing that this kind of change is huge and needs a lot of time to process Absolutely. And mm. I think it's so overwhelming for all of our nervous systems, right? Yeah. And how do you process something on this scale, which is basically touching almost every country in the world in different ways, yeah. um, you know, that it's really making us question uh, how we organize our lives, right? All of a sudden, yeah. capitalism has a lot less meaning, money mm -hmm. has less meaning, um, yeah. You know, things that we could never do online only for disabled people. Now we're doing online for everybody. Um, Absolutely. You know, there, there's just so, so many paradigms are kind of being questioned and they're mm. also being exposed for not yes. being reality. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that can be really disorienting for a lot of people. Well, things that people, yeah, just assumed, uh, you know, in the face of climate crisis, right, exactly what politicians were saying was we can't make radical changes that are needed. And now a whole load of radical, the kind of radical changes that were being proposed that people thought couldn't change have happened really quickly. So it's like this massive changes to these external systems, but it also feels like our internal systems are adapting or having to adapt super fast to those changes as well. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of um, people feeling really disoriented, feeling really lost, not really being sure kind of what are we supposed to do in this situation, yeah. right? I think there's a lot of confusion. And I think that's where um, starting to look at things in a non-binary way can really help, right? Because mm. I'm seeing a lot of uh, folks struggle with uh, this is a disaster and it's the end of the world and other people going, this is the, the revolution we needed and it's the paradigm yeah. change we were uh, waiting for. And I'm sitting with, it feels like both, right? It's just, yeah, both and thinking, right? Exactly, because yeah. you know, there's going to be grief. It's mm. very likely that people we know for all of us are going to die. So yeah. this is not, you know, if this is how the revolution is going to happen, 
this is definitely not what I would have chosen, right? And especially yeah. the people who are going to die are the most vulnerable, the most marginalized, exactly. the ones with least access. So how mm. can that be good for kind of a revolution, right? On the other yeah. end, I totally understand the people who are really saying maybe this is the paradigm shift we needed. And yet yeah. there's going to be so much loss. Um, the inequalities that we've always had are highlighted. You know, it's yeah. almost like they're boldened by this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I don't yeah, know. The sense of which lives are valuable and which aren't seems to be really stark. And instead of governments quite being able to get away with it, they're, they're being much more called, on that, called out on that kind of thinking, I think. Um, yeah. which is, you know, what, again, so many of us have wanted for so long. And as you say, that sense that, that a lot of the things that disabled people have been asking for for ages and haven't been given, now suddenly everybody's in more of, a, in more of that kind of lockdown, self-isolated situation. Those things are being made to happen. But, yeah, I think it's so important to hold the bothness. And it's so interesting how much we, we're so drawn to that polarizing to somehow take a stand of like, mm -hmm. is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Rather than being able to hold this really complex unfolding situation without kind of making it good or bad. Exactly. I think this is a really messy thing. Yeah. You know, that's one of the conversation I keep having with people, you know, is this good? Is this bad? Is this the end of the world? Is this the change we were waiting for? And I was like, this, mm. This is a thing that's happening. Yeah. It's very messy. It's very complex. And, and none of us have an easy relationship with it, right? On one hand, mm. for example, if I think about my own life, um, I feel so fortunate that right now I live with people I feel safe with. I have safe mm. shelter. That's not always been the case for me historically. I feel safe in my relationships. Um, I have not lost my income, so my family is economically stable right now. And I'm also a disabled person, and I'm hearing mm -hmm. a lot of discourse out there around if doctors have to make choices, you know, they might make choices mm -hmm. for people who are more abled and who have more of a chance to come through, right? All of yeah. the ableist, really terrible discourse around medicalization of procedures is really up. Ableism yeah. is super evident. I'm also like visibly trans and non-binary and I'm terrified of being on a ventilator with no yeah. family member or friend to be able to advocate for me and being at the mercy of healthcare providers who might be biased. We have a lot of stories of trans mm -hmm. folks who have not been given the life-saving procedures they needed because an EMT or a nurse or a doctor hesitated because of that trans identity. And at the same yeah. time, I have white privilege, I have economic stability, I'm highly educated. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of this um, this weird both end place where I have a yeah. lot of privilege and this also terrifies me, you know, should I end up sick? And again, like, I think we talked about that in Life Isn't Binary, that sense that, you know, on, we're on multiple axes of privilege and oppression and that's really important to keep hold of. You know, mm -hmm. again, I feel really lucky to be in a safe situation i'm living in solitude which is really new for me but fortunately for me is a really good thing but i'm also someone who just went through this hugely traumatic year which brought up cptsd from the past and like just <laughs> the regular common a garden kind of ptsd so there's been just so, you know a lot of flashbacks and like somatic responses and twitches and like just my whole body and kind of emotional state has been through the ringer in the last year and it's like this on top of that so this again the bothness for me of like okay coming through trauma to yet another trauma that's a really really massive trauma 
is huge and triggering at the same time this particular trauma is actually giving me permission to be in solitude a lot and to do a lot of the things that are actually really healing for me and holding that bothness as well allowing it to be full on to have gone through that much trauma and then more trauma but also at the same time allowing myself to notice what this what what's the opportunity here like if I can really give myself this time to heal that seems to have been kind of given to me on a plate in a way because so much has been cancelled absolutely and I'm really glad that you mentioned trauma because one thing that Mm. I'm seeing is for example a lot of people who have felt that something was going to happen for a long time it's almost like their nervous system is settled and they're like oh now everybody's where I usually am yes everybody is how I feel like people get it now you know there's been a lot of those kind of Mm -hmm. feelings and at the same time we're going through this massive trauma that's really impacting different bodies in different way and yet it's also impacting all of us so there Mm. is so so much both and so many contradictory feelings so much relief that some people are Mm. feeling and yet so much increased anxiety in our collective soma in our collective body yeah there's just no simple answer right it's like this is right and you can't even tell i suppose you know what to also to what extent are the feelings you're feeling yours and to what extent are you picking up on this the feelings of those around you in close proximity but even casting the net wider to are you picking up on more like community feelings and global feelings like that's sort of in there right absolutely i feel like this time is also putting into question the whole individual collective binary yes right i think Mm -hmm. we are trying to have individualized responses to a collective crisis and then there are also people Mm. who are saying well how much can you know an individual do because this is a systemic crisis and it's very much a both hand right this is is absolutely a systemic crisis we could have been so much more prepared for example Mm. and i and i speak for the us you know i think in the world scientists have been talking for a long time about the risk of um, you know, airborne virus and the global yeah. travel and all of this, we could have been more prepared. There is no reason why we don't have enough protective gear for healthcare workers and those kind of issues. Well, it's and, just the worst case scenario in a sense that mm-hmm. when both our countries, UK and US, have people in power who are all about undermining science and not listening to exactly. experts, this mm-hmm. is the time this hits. You know, we've, we've become, the, we became this real anti-expert kind of culture and anti kind of knowledge anti-facts you know so that's a really awful time for this to land but it's another wake-up call of like yeah this is kind of what happens when you ignore scientists and (laughs) yeah what people are saying and facts absolutely so there is the systemic level but also our individual choices are absolutely gonna um, have an impact on how we manage right this idea Mm. that individually we can be respectful, we can stay at home, we can follow guidelines, we can flatten the curve so that we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. And and of course, you yeah. know, government has some role in directing us, but I, I love the approach that our state governor has taken, which is much more, um, instead of shelter in place, kind of like stay at home, not trying to militarize it too much, not trying mm. to police it too much. Because also if we militarize and police, as we know, the first people who are going to suffer from this are going to be black and brown folks, indigenous yeah. folks. They're going to be more policed. And so there are all mm-hmm. these systemic issues, but there are, there's also our individual choices and decisions and behaviors. Yeah. And it's 
so much of both, it right? Illuminates that sense of interdependence and the need for collective care rather than individual self-care that we've kind of talked about in Life Isn't Binary and our new book that's going to be coming out on self-care kind of has that at the heart of it too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. The bothness of thinking about yourself and your place in this wider system um, is really vital because you can get you can kind of get too focused on either. You can get so overwhelmed by this. It's out there and it's mm -hmm. way beyond me and I'm just this tiny, tiny thing. But you can also get overwhelmed by that sense of individual responsibility and I must do all the things now and somehow overinflated importance on you when actually maybe you need to take a step back and rest. And it's like, again, holding the both can help us find our way better absolutely and it's this both hand approach right if you are a healthcare provider who feels compelled to go in without protective gear and then you get sick and it's one less healthcare provider in the system right or if you're an yeah. individual or like my immune system is fine this is only really going to impact some people and i've had to say this to some people i said you're implying that my life is not as valuable as yours and they're like yeah. i'm not saying that and i was like that is literally what you're implying if you say, but I'm going to be okay. Most people, you know, this discourse of mm -hmm. most people are going to be okay. Well, first of all, that's going to, that's being put into question by facts. Yes. Because younger yeah. people have been gotten sick, have been dying. But also, like, what is that discourse of most people are going to well, be okay? And, it's the us and them, isn't it? So exactly. us are going to be okay. If, us, if it's us younger, more privileged people are going to be okay, we don't have to worry about them whether it's them overseas or whether it's them, the more vulnerable people or the poorer people. Exactly. Yeah. And this whole idea of uh, some people have like, well, if most people are going to be okay, we can build herd immunity. And I was like, that is not how herd no. immunity works. And But again, it's just this idea as an individual, I'm going to be okay. Mm. So not understanding that actually as we, you know, quarantining ourselves as individuals is an act of community care right now yeah. we're doing yeah. this for the collective and for ourselves at the same time which really challenges that are us versus them i think i agree and something justin and i talked about on our podcast was also that the need for systemic shifts and cultural shifts to mm -hmm. enable people to do this because what we saw a lot of was individual like um shaming yes like a lot of like individual behavior being shamed and it's that kind of panopticon society thing of like you know the government not doing enough and systems not changing enough so people just end up policing each other mm -hmm. through shame and fear-mongering and that doesn't seem like a great way either it's like you know us being used to kind of police each other is not like the way we need to do it it's like we need to help make the, the positive cultural shifts that enable people to do the things they need to do right oh absolutely because mm. also it's like if we start policing each other you don't have the facts so if you start yelling yeah. at somebody because they're outside you don't know if that person is like a healthcare worker who's going to yeah. work you know or if you are starting to shame people um for kind of you know using delivery service and putting other people's at risk mm. rather than risking your life my one of my questions is okay what is your position in the world do you understand yeah. that for some disabled folks this would 
you know, be literally, this is very high risk. And I also yeah. understand that I don't want to put other people's bodies at risk either. So how do we do this, right? Yeah. One of the things that I've been really excited about is in our cities, there are a lot of mutual aid networks. Yeah. And so in Same that here. way, we mm. can kind of really yeah. start to organize together rather than organize in a capitalist fashion, people who have money yeah. versus people who don't. How can we support each other? We need to think about this in a different way, right? Definitely. And I would encourage people to think again I've been blogging quite a bit about this you know thinking about what they have capacity for also mm -hmm. what their skills are what they find fulfilling like not just kind of plunging in and kind of burning out with like offering it's kind of again another binary I suppose of like people being overwhelmed and offering nothing or people thinking they have to offer absolutely everything and maybe plunging in and doing loads of things they never did before and it, like no can we take a just a breather the sense that it's a marathon not a sprint you know, being kind to ourselves sufficiently that we can really like kind of get to an okay place and then be like, well, yeah, what is what is the best thing for me to offer? Do I want to offer a bit more at the moment? But what would that look like and what, what's needed and mm -hmm. what, what do I feel good about offering such, such that I could do it and carry on doing it rather than doing it for a bit, burning out and then pulling it away again? Absolutely. I love I've mm. been saying this is a marathon, not a sprint, like for the last two, three weeks as I talk to people. <laughs> I feel like I've said that multiple times a day, every day. It's so helpful though. It is because it's like, I think that that's what trauma does, right? It gives mm. us a sense of urgency, right? Now, now, yeah. now. And actually the reality is that this is gonna go on for some time. And by yeah. some time, I don't mean weeks. I mean yeah. a long time, you know? For a lot of us, we understand that our life is not going to be the same in some way, shape or form for the next 18 to 24 months, probably. Yeah. It's not always going to look like this, but things are going to change. They need to change. And I love what you said about some people are kind of rushing in and offering everything at once. And, and again, it's this balance between can we still check in with our capacity, our self-consent, mm. and also what is needed in community. But the other thing I've been thinking about is, that, again, this uh, individualistic kind of savior complex, you know, that yeah. I have to do the thing. I am the person who's needed. When yeah. um, I'm thinking about one of the things that one of my beloveds, Donald Engstrom Reese, talks about when Per talks about balance, Per says balance is not something that's reached within the individual, but it's reached within community. Balance mm. is a balance of give and take in a community. It's very yeah. difficult for an individual to have balance because we are interdependent. So mm -hmm. how could we have balance in an individual life if we're interdependent within the collective, yes. right? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I think there it's important to know when we're, you know, to, to balance so the fact we're going to need support sometimes we're going to be the person needing support sometimes we're going to be the person offering support sometimes we're going to be doing mutual support kind of alongside each other and I found that a really helpful thing to bear in mind as well that it's okay to fluctuate you know and, and I feel like because of what I went through last year I'm still on the kind of needing other support side more but there's been times in my life where I've been much more on offering support and just trying to yeah trying to get that balance in again in community rather than just in an individual of like you know giving and receiving and alongsiding with the support absolutely and i and i think that's so important because when we put ourselves in a box where oh i'm either the person with privilege who's gonna give everything i've got yeah. in this situation or i'm absolutely in need and i'm gonna take everything 
that does not reflect reality. Most of us yeah. are, you know, most of us are able to give in some area and need to receive in others, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of being human. It's part, partially is having the capacity to give and receive. But mm-hmm. then trauma can make it really hard to be in this both hand. And it can put yeah. us in a box of, I'm always the victim or I'm always the, uh, you know, savior or I'm always yeah. the bad person, right? And and this is not about that, which is why I loved what you and uh, Justin did when you talked about shaming and social shaming and really mm. taking a step back. And I don't know, um, one of my colleagues says that shame is like a hot potato and we want to throw it at other people. And so I'm yeah. also wondering what this piece of social shaming is about. Is it about our own guilt, about how we contributed mm to this or feel we contribute because of our own privilege what what yeah, is this throwing we're all part of yeah we're all part of these systems like yeah again it makes me think of um i guess what so many particularly kind of black feminists and intersectional feminists have said about the need to hold ourselves uh, to hold the uh, the sense of where we're victims and perpetrators or where we're the oppressed and the oppressor and it's so vital to have that bothness rather than the binary but again so hard for people not to go I'm either wholly the victim or I'm wholly, wholly the abuser, you know, and if it's like I'm wholly the abuser, I've got to get rid of that because it's, you know, complete shame and terrible. Um, yeah, I feel like I see that playing out a lot. Like, Absolutely. I do too, mm. you know, and I've seen posts, uh, which I understand about staying at home is a privilege, which absolutely I 100% agree. Mm. And also at the same time, I felt shamed by those posts because yeah. I am staying at home. And at the same time, I was like, hang, hang on a minute. If I am asthmatic and immunocompromised, me, you know, being able to stay home, it's also a life-saving measure to some degree. Mm. And it's, and also, why am I being shamed for doing something that, A, we need to do? And yeah. I, you know, I feel fortunate that I can do my healthcare providing work from home. And I, my heart is full of compassion and fear, you know, for not just the nurses and doctors, but also the people mm. who drive ambulances and who need to clean ambulances and who are sweeping hospital Absolutely. floors, who are not getting yeah. paid like hospital nurses and are not get, being given protective gear, even though they're being exposed potentially. Like, of course, my heart goes out to them. But also, is it really appropriate for me to hold shame because I'm taking care of myself while I'm, well, and I'm also providing vital support to my exactly, clients, but I'd, right? I'd, I'd, go, I'd go further than that, Alex. I would say even if you were doing behaviours that were questionable, Great. still shaming you would not be helpful. Thank you. you. Know, sh- shaming you does not get the thing that the person, you know, if they want to shame you into good behaviour, it won't work. Like shame makes people defensive. And what's more, like now I understand a lot more about trauma from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, shame, sh- fear and shame are the kind of core of trauma. So when you do that to a person, you're just re-traumatizing them. So you're probably sending them into trauma response, which, you know, A, makes it more likely that their immune system's going to be r- rubbish and that they'll actually get this damn thing, you know. But B, it just doesn't, it just doesn't help anyone. Well, you know, no, I just think yeah. we, have to rem- we have to just remove that as a tactic, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. entirely. Because it just perpetuates <laughs> more of the same. It yeah, just perpetuates exactly. more trauma. I completely agree. Mm. Thank you for even taking it farther and going, actually, the behavior doesn't even matter. Why are yeah. we shaming one another? And, mm-hmm. you know, and also it's very interesting around the idea of fear, right? Because there's something mm. to be afraid of here, of course. Yes. 
And at the same time, another thing that I've been talking about a lot in the past couple of weeks with clients is how do we balance appropriate fear for something mm. that is real and but stay mobilized so we can do what's in within our control to protect ourselves and others and then yeah. know what is fear that it's outside of our control. There's a point well, at yeah. which we need to let go, right? Well, I'm noticing and it's a bit of a different point, but it's you know, nice to have you as a trauma mm -hmm. expert on the line. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know about so, expert, but go for it. <laughs> what I've noticed is that the, the trauma fear is always combined with shame for me. So when I go to that trauma place, it's like I'm really scared and the shame in the mix. And what I'm trying to do now is really slow down those moments and help myself see like what put me there and, and to realize I've gone into a binary. And for me, how it plays out is nearly always the binary is either I can override myself in this situation for others and do things that don't feel good to me and override my self-consent and then I'll be frightened or, and, or I, can, I can be frightened because I think the situation is making me do that. Or I can say no and hold my boundaries, but then I will feel this terrible shame that it's not okay. And it's like, that's the binary. It's like, choose yourself and feel shame or choose others and feel fear. Yes, absolutely. Right. And that is absolute. Oh, my God. I am so glad that you said that in such an articulate way. I love that. I know you call <laughs> well, me a trauma expert, but I was like, that's so articulate, Meg John. Because that, that well, it's because I've been living it for three months. So like, I'm like, I have the anatomy of this down now. I like know how this works because it's been happening in my system for months. Yeah, you, you do. I don't even know that I have anything to add on there. Apart from the fact, think about how many layers of binaries are in there. Right. And I often yeah. talk about our trauma. One of the characteristics of trauma is that it leads us to this all or nothing pattern. Yeah. All of nothing thinking, all of nothing feelings all or nothing, the way we think about ourselves or others, and think about mm. all these layers or all or nothing patterns that you just mentioned. binaries on top of binaries, exactly. Mm -hmm. It and is. So what I, and what I realized is like, if I, can, if I can notice that come up, like I notice those feelings, and then I realize, oh yeah, it's yet another situation where I feel like, you know, maybe it's feeling like I ought to do something more than I'm doing in, the, in this crisis. And part of me is like terrified because I know I haven't got it and I would be overriding my consent. So there's the mm -hmm. fear. But part of me feels a whole load of shame because I feel like I really should be stepping up and doing more. And I'm in that fear shame place. As soon as I can see it and really clearly like have a conversation with me, I, I can realize I've got to just step out of that binary. Like, and then I can suddenly see all these options. You know, like there's way more options about how I can navigate this and all the different things I could do. You know, it's much more of a spectrum than a binary or even a multidimensional. You know, it's like I can visualize it in a different way. And so I'm not any more stuck in the fear and shame. Or sometimes it's more that I can get to the grief underneath it or like, you know, a bigger feeling that's kind of. But yeah, it's 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 for me, it's like notice that fear, shame flicker or, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere on the like, you know, sometimes it's a flicker and sometimes it's a full blown <laughs> flashback. But like realize you've got stuck in that binary thinking and like gently 
like invite yourself out of binary thinking and binary feeling into the kind of big space out there where there's just many more options than you've been considering? Absolutely, because the landscape opens up completely, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. big into this metaphor of the landscape rather than a spectrum, right? Because I think a landscape is so yeah, much better. Yeah, landscape's way better. Yeah. And, and you know how you, yeah, exactly. We can get that tunnel vision and then all of a sudden we can see so many more options. And we need yeah. tunnel vision in a survival response. That's why we get tunnel vision mm. because we need to like, if we're in a survival response, we need to really focus on surviving. Yeah. And the issue is if this is a marathon, not a sprint, we need to start seeing those flickers that you mentioned of your shame. Yeah. Take a breath if we can and try to broaden that landscape as much as possible. And at the same time, not to make another binary if we get stuck into survival response, if we feel stuck into fear and shame, that's okay too. This yeah. is a survival situation, you know. I think people are also putting a lot of pressure on themselves to like do better and really show up. Absolutely. And really, you know, I've seen this diagram, like how will you respond, you know, will this kind of smaller survival way or will you have like a growth mindset in the middle of this? And I'm like, well, fuck it. Let's just hope we survive, right? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Like, so do we need it. to have I... a growth mindset in the middle of a pandemic? There seems a lot of pressure to put on ourselves. <laughs> well, that's right. Because I got to the point where I was doing so well at getting myself out of this that when they then hit, I got fear and shame around the, the trigger happening because then I was like, now I'm feeling fear and shame, and that's something to feel shamed about, and that's something to be frightened about. So, like, you you can kind of get yourself back in there by trying not to be there. You know, exactly. And I think it is good to give yourself that, that you will sometimes be there. And I like that point that it's a survival response. So, yeah, like when we're actually in life and death situations, it may be we have to choose self or other. Yeah. But like what I find mostly is that if I can think about the situation that's put me in the fear, shame response, it's usually both, you know, the, the answer is not, it's not actually, it's what we were saying before about collective and interdependence. It's not that choosing me would be choosing away from the other, and it's not choosing the other would be choosing away from me. It's that there's another solution which holds both of us as equally valuable. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the thing that I'm, I need to find. But it's because we've been so trained into that binary thinking that it is me versus you and us versus them, I think. Absolutely. And I, I mm. think it is really hard because there's so much all or nothing thinking and all or nothing feeling that's promoted in the culture. Yeah. It's so hard to find that third road, that third place, yeah. that new pathway, that broader landscape, right? And um, that's why we wanted to have this conversation partially because mm. I think this is a huge traumatic moment in history and uh, all over the globe. And we are seeing even the, all of the anti-Asian sentiment and the racism and the xenophobia we're seeing oh, in the world that's absolutely. being born out of fear, right? But it's well, someone in France. Someone in France, a doctor was suggesting that they um, try any vaccine on people in Africa. Oh my God, I saw that. Animals. That was so disgustingly what? racist. And, you know, it I was, was like... <laughs> both unsurprising because, of course, yeah. the world is full of racism and, mm -hmm. and anti-blackness. But... yeah. Just also heartbreaking that in this moment where we mm. should oh, see should, they're so easy to come up. But in this yeah. moment where we could, we could choose, mm. we could choose to feel connected. Um, yeah. There is still this othering that happens, right? Who is less valuable, who mm -hmm. can be experimented on. And, and sadly, it tends to be the same bodies again and again. And I think we have... Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. sex workers were mentioned in the same breath as well. So it was whorephobic as well. It was, yeah, unreal. Exactly. And it's... Um, 
And I think this is that paradox, right? Where we see yeah. all those prejudices, all this fear, this bigotry, racism, horophobia, xenophobia, you know, mm. being highlighted in bold colors. And at the same time, we're seeing networks of mutual aid uh, emerging, yeah. right? Um, local support, connection, and both of those things are happening at the same time. Both of those yeah. things are coming out of the same historical moment. And in some ways mm. they could be seen as polarized. And in other ways, I think they're just manifestation of what is going on all the time. We're just yeah. becoming aware of it in a different way, if that makes sense. It kind of, yeah, shines a real light on it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's almost like this, it's never, if it's never the wrong time to apply the non-binary thinking, and it's like, like you say, even then we can easily get fall into binaries about binaries on binaries on binaries. But yeah, I think that that kind of stuff really lifts it for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Noticing when I've fallen into binaries and kind of lifting out of that. Um, and yeah, certainly, certainly one around not treating myself as less valuable than everyone else or as more valuable. You know, exactly. That's a good one. That's a good one to keep coming back to as well. Exactly. When I'm doing it, and also noticing when I'm doing it. But like you said, understanding that cultural piece of like we've all been trained in this. We can't just like leap to this enlightened place overnight. It's like it's going to be work, and maybe that's it. Sort of noticing in yourself when you're doing, you know, when you're when you are behaving or thinking in ways that you that aren't how you would love. So, you know, like I noticed some lack of compassion in me. Like I, again, I guess because of the trauma, I was just so in myself for a while that I was not feeling the kind of sadness and grief I wanted to feel when I was seeing the people who were suffering. But what I did manage to do is instead of sort of shaming myself for that, as I might have done, is sort of sit with the further level of sadness that I couldn't feel the sadness. Mm -hmm. And I actually got to sadness that way, if that makes any sense. It's it, like if you can just be with the feeling or even the absence of feeling without loading all of this other stuff on top, then you can kind of get to somewhere quite profound. Absolutely. I think there is a piece about radical acceptance about what is, yeah. right? There's a piece about like this week I felt really tired and I was I was expressing this on Twitter and other therapists were also expressing this as one of the hardest weeks um, of their mm. lives, right? Nobody nobody has trained us to, to work in, in a pandemic while, you know, those of us who have kids, our kids are home and we're trying to take yeah. care of ourselves, our family and other people, there is no balance there, right, in mm. some ways. And but also, I was thinking this week, like, I will need to take some time off. It will feel hard because it feels mm. like there's so much need in the world. And it is unsustainable for any of us, including doctors or nurses, not yeah. to have time off for the next 18 to 24 months, right? Yeah. We yeah. will need to tag team. We will need mm -hmm. to have some people being at the forefront and working and people resting and kind of cycle in and out mm -hmm. of that. And, and I think we need to do that on a community level too yeah. and not get stuck into this idea, if I don't give 100% of the time, 100% uh, of me or maybe 150% of me, then um, I'm somehow failing, right? Exactly, exactly. It feels like what's happening for a lot of people is they're thinking, oh, with all these boundaries that I'd built up and all these ways of, you know, of realizing what I'm capable of and what I, I'm not and holding these boundaries with people, that all goes out of the window and suddenly I've got to do contact with anyone who asks for it and I've got to override my self-consent for other people and I've got to go out and do all the things. And it's like, no, actually, this is a time when that stuff's, 
vital you know mm. and it's still okay to think about what do i need in order to be the best i can be in the world and that's kind of what boundaries are about for me so it's it's okay to hold those boundaries and say you know i'm thinking a lot about con contact and like it's overwhelming to have too many conversations in one day mm -hmm. i'm not good for the last person that i have a conversation with and i'm not good for me so it's like i'm going to hold some boundaries around how much contact i have i'm going to learn what feels okay at the moment and I'm going to articulate that to people and I expect people to be okay with that and I think that's really important not to just let all that slide and it's really easy to just let all that slide in a situation Ab like this absolutely and also really yeah. acknowledging that online contact is more exhausting mm -hmm. you know it is different than in person and so if you're feeling more tired you know folks have also been talking about the increased allostatic load, which in a simplistic way, it's the stress mm. that our nervous system feels, right? In this moment, mm. a lot of people are feeling very tired. And even if, you mm. know, some people are like, I don't know why I'm so tired. I'm at home and I'm not exerting myself. Yeah, I'm, but having, I feel, that. I'm having that. Right? Yeah. I feel exhausted. That's about the allostatic load. So the stress. Allostatic load. I've never allostatic heard that before. load. It's, um, right. it's another term for kind of. Um, the interpersonal neurobiology neurobiology field but this idea mm. that there is a certain capacity that our nervous system has and so yeah. uh, the stress you know the allostatic load is all of the things that are put on our nervous system all that mm. stress right and at the moment that is increased because of the situation so even if we're yeah. not doing anything in air quotes whatever that means you know we're always <laughs> yeah. You know, if we're breathing, we're doing something, we're living, uh, we're feeling that stress. And so people are feeling much more tired. They're needing more sleep. And then yeah. they're beating themselves up for it. And I'm like, it's okay to be really tired. I've been having a hard time sleeping. I've been having a hard time getting up. I'm trying to do all the right things again in air quotes, whatever that means. I'm mm. still tired. Can that just be okay? Can I just I think accept the more that you I'm can tired? Allow it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. The more you can allow it the more these things will work through us. And I have this kind of faith that if I rest as much as I possibly can when I feel that kind of tiredness, I am going to get to a point of having more energy again. Mm -hmm. And I see it even in a week. Like if I have a real day when I'm really gentle, often I will have a bit more energy the next day. So, yeah, it's but it's it's inviting us in a way into this radically different relationship with ourselves, with our bodies, our nervous systems. If we, if we can, you know, and again, it's a privilege to be able to, play with this stuff at the moment um but if you can you know see what it's like to just allow it instead of pushing through i would really recommend that absolutely and also that mm. this allowing not allowing doesn't have to be an absolute binary right i have a lot of responsibilities yeah. as a parent and as a therapist but it doesn't mean that i cannot find moments of rest it doesn't yeah. mean that i cannot find uh, moments where i can you know rest a little bit more or meet my needs a little bit more and also I would add, even if I do all the right things and then I don't have more energy or I don't feel better, because yeah. that's definitely one of the things that happens. For me, as somebody who's disabled, sometimes I feel like I'm doing all the right things, whatever that means. Yeah. And, you know, doing all the things that everybody says and I've tried everything and I still don't feel better. That has to be OK. Like that yeah. has to be that has to be OK. And also that sometimes we don't. Even if we don't do all the right things, that's okay. Again, it's this moral yeah. value, right? What are we supposed to do or how we should behave? It's like, ah, it's so hard to get away from this binary thing of right and yeah. wrong or good or bad. It's like, okay, we're all doing the best we can. Oh, I made some choices that are supportive of my well-being today. And 
I don't see any benefits. That's okay. Or I've made some choices that were supportive, maybe of my emotional well-being, but not my physical well-being. Can that be yeah. okay? Can <coughs> can things be what they are? And I think often we're trying to make things not be what they are. We're trying to force exactly. our feelings, force our thinking in different direction. You know, also a lot of well, guilt. it's still yeah, it's still on. very capitalist, isn't it? It's still very goal focused. It's very it like is. this is this is only good if it makes me happy, or this is only good if it's productive. Or you know, again, I think there's an opportunity here potentially to really think more critically and try other ways of being that aren't so much about like something's only of value if it reaches some kind of cultural ideal of what is success yeah absolutely just not how we work like you say you can do all the right things and get the wrong outcome but it's like well what is this wrong and right outcome and what are these wrong and right things even absolutely because i think there's a lot out there about the right or wrong way of doing a quarantine and and i love that there's also a lot of counter messaging about there is no right or wrong way of doing a quarantine Mm. there's like you know and and i would take even farther because it goes into this if you do nothing that's okay if you do all the you know it Mm. goes into this all or nothing patterns really easily I would say that it's also okay to ebb and flow and feel more or less yeah. productive again, whatever that means, more or less present to float in and out of, mm. you know, whatever it is. But it's just so hard for us to just allow our experience to be what it is. You know, lots yes. of people are feeling guilty. Some people are doing okay. And, yeah. you know, they, they're feeling so much guilt about not yeah. being the people who are struggling right now. There's well, we no talking... moral value in struggling. I don't know. No. You know I mean? Well, again, again, our society is based on an idea that there is, that we should mm. be uncomfortable. You know, that the whole, you know, I think most organizations and institutions kind of revel in this idea that you should be working too hard and feeling uncomfortable. It should be painful. Certainly academia, where you and I both worked for a long time. Yes. It's, you know, somebody was saying to me recently, you know, it's like it, you're supposed to enjoy the pain of it. It's just awful. Like that's it's supposed to be painful and you're supposed to enjoy it. So, yeah, I think we're doing a kind of radical act in the, just the allowing that mm-hmm. you're talking about. And I just and I do think it's it's really important to let that ebb and flow and I was yeah I was talking to a lot of people last night about this sense of relief guilt that those of us who are feeling some relief at the new way of living that perhaps we're in at the moment then have this layer of guilt on top of it again if we can try not to do that you know the Buddhists call it the second arrow the feeling about the feeling like you know if you feel relief fantastic you know relieved people is a great thing to have right now the people who feel relieved and can allow it probably will have a bunch more energy longer term but if we put a whole load of guilt on some of the relief that we're feeling then we probably we won't have any more energy exactly for anyone including ourselves well and if we're co-regulating with one another Mm. then feeling some relief having some nervous systems that are not super activated can yeah. only be good for our collective soma, for our collective body, right? We, yeah. if, because if we're all in the state of hypervigilance and bracing, that cannot be good for our collective, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That feels so good. Is there anything else? I mean, I'm sure there is more no, that I we feel, can say. I feel like that, said some really, that feels such yeah. a good place to land on, this idea of allowing and this kind of balance in interdependence. I don't know. What do well, you think? Well, I love your ebb and flow as well. I mean, I live by the sea now, so I have a lot of tidal imagery and you know sea imagery. But yeah, that sense that we could allow ourselves to ebb and flow and be where we are 
you know again it just comes back to that doesn't it and then I think we are going to be better for ourselves for each other and for the wider collective I love it what a beautiful place to end on so until next time dear listeners I hope you can ebb and flow with whatever you're thinking whatever you're feeling most of all I really hope that you are feel safe where you are and your your relationships I know this is a big deal for a lot of people and if you aren't please reach out there I think there are many places that are still available um for you to reach out to if you're struggling. I agree, yeah. If you're, if you're interested, I wrote on my blog some ideas about what you might do if you're stuck alone at this time or if you're stuck with other people. And again, like you, I emphasize, you know, my, my real concern is for people who are in unsafe living situations. And yeah, just to, you know, you don't have to stay in dangerous and damaging dynamics. Even, even if they're not completely, you know, the hard end of abusive, you know, you don't have to be in situations that are making you you know, re-traumatizing you and putting you under a lot of stress and there are people that are out there to support absolutely and maybe mm. we can put a link to that blog post yeah. in the episode description but yeah. if if you are hopefully in a safe supportive situation whether you're alone or with others i do hope you can let a little bit of the ebb and flow i love that mm. title imagery mcjohn that you talked about just kind of yeah. just observe that and and see where you are on any given moment or any given day yeah definitely thanks alex this was awesome thanks mcjohn this was great <laughs> this was so fun let's do it again soon hey. yes <laughs> all right bye everyone bye, bye.